Now we can start today. So the last week, or the last time we had reviewed session number one, was mainly about how come we don't forgive? How come we have such a hard time forgiving? What makes it so difficult? And why we should forgive? Today, it's more about the how we should forgive. This is obviously the more difficult part. You can convince yourself that you should forgive all day long, but at the end of the day, doing it is 99% of the work. Obviously, we all read the Bible. We all know what we're supposed to do. Doing it is a different story. Now, we all dream and we all hope that the people who offend us come to us like this, on their hands and their knees, begging for forgiveness. Does this happen? No, it doesn't happen. And in my household, when I ask someone in my family, this is getting a... It's not as vague as I was hoping it would be. When I ask someone in my family, how come you didn't say sorry? They say, because you enjoy it too much. <laughs> and really, I do enjoy it. And that's my own pride. But I just want this person to acknowledge that they did something wrong to me. All I want is an apology. Literally, that's all I want. Yeah, I do enjoy it. But I mean, at the end of the day, who doesn't enjoy when they're being like apologized to? We're going to get to that in the future. So we have to recognize when someone is coming to apologize to us, they're not going to come to you most of the time saying, by the way, I'm so sorry, I did X, Y, and Z, I'm never gonna do it again, you were right, I was wrong. Nobody does this. Nobody does this because they themselves have pride and it's a very, very difficult thing to do to apologize when you are wrong, even if you were very wrong, and even if you know that you're wrong. So initially, the person may come back to you and you need to recognize these things as a form or a type, not as an apology, but as a type of reconciliation, as a way to amend things, to make things whole again. So it's going to be indirect, and it's going to be in the form of a gesture. All right? It's not going to be, you're not going to get a bouquet of flowers to your house saying, I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. That's not the gesture I'm talking about. The gesture I'm talking about is something like restarting friendly communication. So if I had a friend that I've known for a long time and we got into a disagreement for whatever reason, okay, first couple days, hours, whatever, are gonna be heated, but eventually I'm gonna be like, hey, did you watch that Laker game last night? Did you, did you see that new car that came out? Whatever, I'm gonna do anything to encourage the dialogue and try to restore this relationship that we had once before. Another thing is that this person might go out of their way to do something nice, something that they may not normally do. And you need to have your antenna up and to try to recognize the nice thing that this person is either saying or doing. And although it may not be or give you the type of satisfaction that you feel like you need or you deserve, you need to look at that as some effort from that other person to try to win you over once again. If you look at these things and you recognize them and you immediately shut them down, well, now the fault is on you and no longer on that person who did something against you. This person may offer to help you out. This person may tell you a funny story, anything. And now we're going to play a little game of fact or fiction, all right? I'm going to put up a little phrase and you guys are gonna tell me whether or not this is fact or fiction when it comes to what forgiveness means. Got it? You know how to play the game? First one. Forgetting the incident. Forgiveness means forgetting the incident. Fiction. Correct. Pardoning or excusing the action. 
Fact or fiction? Raise your hand if it's fact. Of course, now everybody's like scared. Fiction. Okay, I guess you guys are just not participating overall. This one is also fiction. Demanding payback. Forgiveness means I should demand payback. Are you guys listening to the game? Or are you guys just bad people? It's one or the other. Having warm and fuzzy feelings towards the offender. It means, it's actually fiction. It's actually fiction. If you haven't figured it out, they're all fiction, guys, come on. Re-establishing them into the community. I should, I should clarify this one. This one means if we had someone who was convicted of a DUI and they had a previous job as a bartender, we should put them back in their job as a bartender. Or if someone is a child molester, we should put them back as responsible for a daycare. That's what this means. Is this fact or fiction? Fiction. Thank you. Now, a lot of you guys had trouble with these because you are actually good people. Because you are Christians. And in Christianity, we always do above and beyond what we're supposed to do. Just like what we learned last time on the Sermon on the Mount. If someone asks for your cloak and wants to sue you and take away your cloak, you should give them your tunic also. If someone asks you to walk with them one mile, walk with them too. You should not resist an evil person. So, I am telling you what forgiveness means when it comes to... What does it mean in non-Christian sources? How do they, do they define forgiveness? So does it mean that you should have now retrograde amnesia and you should forget anything that this person has ever done to you? No, it does not mean that. Obviously, it's going to be very, very difficult to forget. Either because it was such a significant incident, and I did studies on this, me personally, when I was an undergrad, I can tell you and bore you about that later if you're interested. Or because you just have a good memory, and you just remember. And it's hard to see. When I see someone's face, one of two things come to mind. I like this person, I don't like this person. Even someone, just a smile on their face, you can tell. If someone smiles a lot, they're gonna be a more likable person. If someone doesn't, they won't be. So you, should, you may not forget the incident, but here's the key. Just because you don't forgive them, forget the incident does not mean that you should not forgive the action, or you should forget the action. You should pardon their iniquity, you should, you should not hold it against them, even if you may not forget the incident. When we say pardoning or excusing the action, basically what we are saying is that what this person did was right, was okay. That's what this means. If someone, for example, let's use the example of the DUI, gets drunk and kills 10 people, and you happen to be a relative of one of those persons who got killed, should you now say, oh, well, it's okay, he just had a little bit too much to drink? No, that's making the action okay. That action is not okay. What that person did was wrong. That's what that means. Demanding payback, that's justice. We talked about that last week. Having warm and fuzzy feelings towards the offender. Some of you guys thought this was fact. This is very, very difficult to do. Now, if you have reached a certain level in your spiritual life where anybody who offends you, you can then have warm and fuzzy feelings with them, then probably your name should be written in the Book of Saints. And we should mention you on Sunday and we can tell Abuna to add it to the commemoration. But obviously this is very difficult. It does not mean that I have to be best friends with this person. But it means that I have to restore the love of Christ within us. Now, not, not each of us have the same degree of relationship. Now, the love that I have with my wife, the love that I have with my daughter, is different than the, life, the love that I show my relatives, than my friends, than my, my associates, than my acquaintances. All different levels of love. What I mean by warm and fuzzy feelings is the same type of love that you would show your family, which would obviously be very difficult. 
And we talked about the last one already. So all of these were false, as we mentioned earlier. Now this is the meat of the talk. There are four stages for forgiveness. And they all begin with the letter H. And I'm going to quiz them, quiz you guys on them at the end. So remember them. Number one is hurt. What does hurt mean? Whenever you go to a psychologist or you go for therapy, I'm not speaking from personal experiences, it's just what people tell me, although I probably need therapy. Whenever you go to therapy, the one thing that they're going to ask you to do is to process. To process the situation. I wish my sister was here so she could help tell you guys to explain this better. But processing the situation means let's go through the facts. Let's go through exactly what happened. And there are a couple of questions that you need to ask yourself. What happened? Why did it happen? Where did it happen? When did it happen? And who was involved? The reason that you need to ask yourself these things is because, as we mentioned last time, our mind will naturally lie to us. And you are going to start to feel worse and you are going to make the situation bigger and more serious and more emotional and more involved than what it actually was. How many of us have been in a situation where someone did something so bad to us and we got really, really heated, we got really angry. And so we, we, we didn't know what to do, so we go and we tell one of our friends, you won't believe what this person did to me. And then you start to tell them the story and they're like, so? Like, what's the big deal? I don't get it. That doesn't sound like that serious. So this person made a mistake, whatever. No, what happened was you took it personally, you start, your pride started to become affected, and you started to separate fact from these distortions, from this ego. But someone looking at it in a third party, a judge, which is why we have this judicial system, a judge will look at it and be like, okay, this is what actually happened, and this is what we think happened or how you feel, but let's separate that, and let's break that down. You should not hold someone, you should not hold something against someone for the way that you feel, only for what they did. The reason why this is so important is that not only does it allow you to reflect on the past incident, on what happened, it allows you to think about what you yourself did wrong. This is what we call um, examining your conscience. And I grew up in Catholic school, and I don't know why they stressed this point, but I think that this was, the, the reason why they said it was so important was because this is the step that comes before repentance and confession. You should examine your conscience. Every day they told us you should sit with yourself, and you should go through the whole day, and you should say, today I did this and this and this wrong. And you should think about it, and you should work on it, so that the next day you don't repeat the same mistakes. Now. Let's say that you have an anger problem, or let's say that there is one person specifically that really gets under your skin, really upsets you, all right? If something like this happens in the future, there's a short mnemonic that I want to teach you guys. You should halt. Has anybody ever heard of halt before? I just learned about it this week. I thought this was, this was so interesting. Now, you might think it's a joke initially, but it's actually so true. A lot of the times when someone does something against us or upsets us for whatever reason, we're not upset because of that specific thing that they did, but we're upset because there's a certain weakness inside of us and this weakness is now manifesting itself and this action or this offense is giving us a reason to be upset. So what does HALT stand for? It is four things which you should ask yourself whenever you get upset. Are you hungry? Angry, lonely, or tired? If I come home and my wife tells me, how come you didn't take out the trash? First thing, as soon as I walk in the door, I'm going to get angry. 
For one good reason. Not because I have anger problems or that the trash upsets me or that I don't want to take out the trash, but because I'm hungry and I'm tired and I'm lonely. I'm everything. Now, I was listening one time to a sermon by Abu Nadir and he, he said something which I thought was so wise. He said, he was talking to the women and he said, Women, when your husband comes home, you should not say a word. You should not say, well, obviously I'm paraphrasing and maybe I forgot some stuff, so don't hold this against him if it sounds bad. You should not say a word. But the first thing that you should do is you should greet him, give him a hug, give him a kiss, and give him a meal. <laughs> and after you filled his belly, then start to talk to him. Say, by the way, do you know what your kid did today in school? Do you know how many bills we have to pay? Do you know what happened to me at work? You can start to bring up anything that you want to bring up, but only when he is comfortable. Now, I'm not sexist, and I'm not trying to say that only the males need this or whatever, but I'm saying that it goes both ways. A lot of the times, when we get upset at each other, we get upset, we get upset at each other for many different reasons, and these are some of them. Now, if you find yourself that you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you need to address these situations. Now, this, this today is not about how you should address your loneliness. If you're lonely, you need to make friends. And I'm not here to help you with that. Maybe you're depressed, and maybe this is a clinical condition. I'm not joking right now. Maybe this is a clinical condition, and maybe this is a mental health issue that you need to seek help, help for. Now, I know that depression is prevalent amongst 30% of the population. 30% of population, that means you look to your left, you look to your right, one of you guys is probably going to be depressed or is depressed. That's very serious. What does that mean? Are 30% of the people here on antidepressant medication or receiving therapy? No. What happens whenever I diagnose someone with depression? I tell them, they come in because they can't sleep. That's the reason. They want sleeping pills. But when I start to talk to them, I realize that they're depressed. And then I tell them, well, there's two ways that we can treat this. There's therapy, there's medication. We don't need to start medication right away, but we should start therapy right away. There's no side effects, it's helpful, and it's been proven to be equally as effective as <coughs> medication. And nobody wants to accept this diagnosis. And there's a huge stigma when it comes to mental health, not just in our community, but in the world overall. In, in Egypt, if you tell someone that you want to go see a therapist or that you're receiving counseling, they automatically think you're a lunatic. And a lot of my patients, when I speak to them, it's mainly, patients of the Hispanic community, they think that people who go to therapists is because they hear voices, because they're crazy, they belong in a hospital. That's not the reason, and I wanna clear that up uh, just from the beginning. I thought this was pretty funny. It said, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hangry. You would be surprised at how many people on our Etsy selling these types of shirts. Like literally, I found over 100. All right, so what was the first stage of forgiveness? Hurt. Number two is hate. Number two is hate. All of you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy right now. Kiko, you know this is a church. We shouldn't be talking about hate. We should be talking about love. Yes and no. We are going to be talking about love, but we are in this particular step, in this stage, we should be talking about hate. But redirecting your hate. If you hate that person, you're hating the wrong thing. What should you hate? You should hate the sin. You should love the sinner. You should hate the sin. Now. We all need to recognize that we all, all have many different weaknesses. Each one of us, myself included. Each one of us sins in a different way. Now, just because you guys don't know my sins does not make me a better person than you. Now, if your sin happens to be anger, and when I talk to you, you get angry, you lash out at me or whatever, this is your weakness. I need to recognize that this is the cross that you need to carry. And this is how the devil has chosen to tempt you. 
And I need to hate the sin and hate the devil. And I need to start praying for you so that you can overcome this. Now, if my sin is I have a drinking problem and I do this at home behind closed doors, nobody's ever going to see it. Nobody's ever going to know. That does not make me a perfect person. So you need to examine yourself and recognize that you need to start hating the sin just like you hate your own sin. And not hating the person behind the sin. This next thing, when it comes to hating the sin, is called taking perspective. Now, there's many different uh, researchers and psychologists who say that this is probably the most important thing you can do when it comes to forgiveness. It's putting yourself into their shoes. Figuring out, now maybe there was a reason that they did what they did. Now, this past Christmas, we were all sitting around the table. It was me and my extended family. And I don't know how this came about, but we all started engaging in a very interesting exercise. Each one of us spoke about something that happened in our childhood and how it's affecting us today. <coughs> one notable one was what my dad said. Now, if you come into our house, you're going to see literally thousands of books. This is not an exaggeration. We probably have over 5,000 books. I haven't counted. I think one time my sister didn't. This is after we donated boxes and boxes. Why does my dad have so many books? Well, when he was younger, he grew up in a poor family. His mother used to yell at him and tell him, why are you spending your school allowance on books? And why are you staying up so late and keeping the electricity on? Don't you know that we have to pay for it? So now, if you come into our house, you'll realize two things. Number one, we have too many books. My dad will buy any book that he can, even if he already has it before, if he, just because he thinks it's good. And the second thing is my dad spends two to three hours every night before he goes to bed reading. Why? Maybe because he likes books. But I think, and what he said, was that he was trying to compensate for everything that happened in his past. Because he wasn't able to do it and now it's being reflected. And he tried to push it on us. Now I hate books. <laughs> and maybe this is his fault or his mother's fault. I don't know. But this is what happened. My brother-in-law mentioned that when he was growing up, his dad would never let him get toppings on pizza because he thought it was a waste of money. They only used to get cheese pizza. Now, this has manifested itself into something more serious. Now, not only does he get the meat lovers all-you-can-eat pizza whenever he goes, but whenever he feels like there's something where he has to get the minimum, he goes above and beyond. If he goes to a hotel, he gets the best hotel. If he gets a car, he gets the best car. If he goes whatever, and when he finds a girl, he gets the best girl. That's my sister. So I had to throw that in. He gets the best of the best. And this is something that he does because he feels like he was deprived when he was younger. So you have to think, maybe there was a reason that I may not know because I'm not perfect, I'm not all-knowing, that allowed this person to do whatever they did. And maybe it wasn't because they hate me or they wanted to hurt me, but because of something in their childhood. In, in my house, there's, some, there's a concept known as parking lot heels. What does parking lot heels mean? This is what it means. It means you're getting ready to go to a wedding, you're going to the Eid, and you put on your heels. Obviously, it's not, it doesn't affect everyone in my house, but only a few of us. Put on your heels, you wear them in the parking lot, and as soon as you get into the church, these are uncomfortable, you take them off, you pull out the flats from your bag, and you put those on instead. Now, I can't tell Jackie, Jackie, I mean, you look better in heels, why don't you look a little bit more respectable? Because I don't know how she feels. Any girl in here who has worn heels, would swear to up and down the worst thing that were invented by men. And I'm not, I cannot tell you guys not to do it because I don't know how it feels. So we need to think about what this guy's feeling. I understand now that you 
grew up in a different situation. You were given different gifts than I was. You were given different responsibilities, different tasks, a different job, a different family, a different everything. And that maybe you aren't exactly the way that I am. And I need to start thinking about where you are coming from instead of being so selfish and just thinking about myself. So the first stage was hurt. The second stage was was hate. The third stage is hook. Hook means letting yourself off the hook. What do I mean? When you refuse to forgive, it gives you power. The more power you have, the worse you feel. What does this mean? If now someone offended me, and I am upset, I can do one of two things. I can either be upset at that person or I can forgive them. But the bottom line is that the ball is in my court. This person has already made their move. It's like you're playing chess. You take turns, that person made their move. This person should not make their move again. Now it's up to you to decide what you should do. It's very hard to forgive. But the longer and the harder and the more time that is spent or the more effort and energy you put into hating this person, the harder harder it is going to be for you to forgive this person. And the person who ends up getting more and more and more upset is you, not them, even though they're the ones who did something wrong. It's crazy, right? When you forgive, you are not doing it for the other person. The other person does not need your forgiveness. I'm sorry. We aren't that important. They need God's forgiveness, and only God can forgive people their sins. They don't need you to come up to them and say, I'm sorry. But you need to forgive for you, not for them. When I went one time to like a marital retreat, whatever, this quote stuck with me. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to realize that the prisoner was me. Can we all say this together? Just so we can wake up a little bit. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to realize that the prisoner was me. Last thing is that when you don't forgive, or when you hold your forgiveness from someone else, essentially what you are doing is putting yourself in God's role. You are saying, well, I'm not going to forgive you. Well, that's nice that you think that you have this power to forgive, but you don't. Only God does. So don't play God's role because now you've committed a completely different sin. It's no longer between you and that other person. As we mentioned last week in the prayer of reconciliation, it has two goals. Number one, for us to reconcile between us and God and between us and other people. So now this is the step where you actually need to forgive. You need to let yourself off the hook and you need to take action. First thing is that you should pray for them and you should pray about it. One of the fathers that I read, he said, you should pray with all your heart, mind, body and soul that this person enters into heaven. That's crazy. I don't think I've used all of those faculties to pray for myself that much. But he's saying that we should love our enemies and that we should pray for them, that they should go to heaven as much as we should go to heaven. So the first step was hurt, hate. Let's go one more time. Hate, hurt, and number three was hook. Number four, and this is the last one, is healing. This is probably the hardest one. When you forgive someone, or when someone offends you, it might just take two seconds. Two seconds. Just like 9-11. How long did it take? Airplanes went in the tower. I don't know how much time later, second airplane went in. Within an hour or two, 
both buildings were down. We are still suffering with this today. Each one of us is affected by it, whether we like it or not. Now, does that mean that we forgot about what happened? That we are okay with what happened? That we forgot about our loved ones and everything? No, absolutely not. But we need to forgive the attackers, those people who wronged us. And we need to find relief. And this is the part that you need to work on yourself. Nobody can help you with this. But this relief finding is a process. And it's much, 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 much more difficult than just saying, I forgive you. But the faster that you do it, and the more that you put out the fire, just like we talked about this analogy last week, the faster you put out the fire, the faster this situation is going to end. Now, I, I thought this was funny just because a lot of us might relate. This is a peace treaty between two countries that don't like each other. You might know these countries. They don't like each other. Now, they forgave one another, and they found peace in this one moment. Does that mean that all of the people of Egypt and of Israel have found relief? No, of course it doesn't. But this was the beginning. This was opening the door. This was opening your arms, saying, I love you, I forgive you, and I don't plan on doing it again. And maybe later on down the line, generations to come or future interactions will shape this treaty. This treaty will now come to life. This forgiveness that you gave that other person is going to start to manifest itself in how you deal with this person and your relationship with this person for as long as you live. Even though you still may not have found complete relief from that process or from that offense. So ultimately, just like you prayed for that person before you forgave them, you need to start praying for yourself and asking God, start asking God to give you peace. God is the only one who can give you true peace and true happiness. And you need to ask Him to give it to you. Because the situation might be so difficult that you will not be able to overcome it alone. I thought this quote was really relevant and was really beautiful. It says, if your brother is angry with you, then the Lord is also angry with you. And if you have made peace with your brother below, then you have made peace also with the Lord on high. If you receive your brother, then you also receive your Lord. This was by St. Ephraim. In the same kind of like segment as that, St. Dorotheos of Gaza, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but that's how I read it. He gave this beautiful analogy of a compass and that our spiritual lives and our relationship with God and with others are like a compass. Where God is in the middle. And we are all on the outside. Like if you think of a clock. We are all the numbers. And that God is in the middle. And the closer that you get to God. The more that you go towards the center. The closer that you also become to the people around you. And if you do not make peace with the people around you, then the farther away you are getting from them, and ultimately, the farther away that you are getting from God. This is a review. Finally, we're done. Hopefully you guys get these all right so we don't have to spend more time. How do people ask for forgiveness? Sorry? Gestures. Gestures. Indirect gestures. Correct. What are some myths about forgiveness? You can just yell these out. Pardoning the action. Sorry, what did you say? Fuzzy feelings inside. Someone else said something? Forgetting and demanding revenge or payback. Correct. What are the stages of forgiveness? There are four stages. Number one, hurts. Number two, 
Hate. Number three, hook. Number four, heal. Perfect. And what does halt stand for? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Perfect. You guys are really smart. And what is my favorite quote that I wanted you guys to memorize and we all said it together? Together, can we say it? Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to realize that the prisoner is me. Very good. Giving forgiveness is a, or an, giving forgiveness is an event. This guy is a smart guy. Finding relief is a process. Perfect. That's all we have for you today. Thank you.